trying to break back. A double kill for Huey. A check for Huey. I can't believe it. A triple kill. Hello, 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 and welcome to this episode of Small Talk Big Brain, episode four. I'm your host, Jack Six Cooley, along here with Vincent Newt Leuzzi. Hello, hello. How are you doing? Good, good. I think we had a pretty exciting weekend of games uh, from Riot this week. LCF was pretty good, as well as uh, the first big NA Valorant tournament. Um, we're going to be talking about mostly League of Legends and Valorant for this episode, and then closing with a little bit of the new Rude Terra meta. Yeah, if you were hoping to hear TFT, we're, we're not going to really talk about that today since uh, not, nothing big has changed since last week uh, with TFT. So it's uh, very similar, so there's not really much to talk about. Yeah, the meta is still a little bit evolving, uh, but if you want an updated tier list, Mobilytics has all that for you. Exactly. So let's get into some LCS. Um, we'll start at the top of the table. Uh, by far and away, number one, Cloud9 at 6-0. and They went 2-0 this week against Team Liquid and Immortals. And actually, to be honest, this Team Liquid game, I feel, was the shakiest game uh, C9 has, has had this split. And I, I was excited for it because Jensen was uh, talking about how he's way better than Niski. Uh, coming into the game. And I, I know he took some heat for, you know, crap talking, the, like potentially the best NA team ever who's been so dominant. But I mm-hmm. like that he like came in and he was like willing to talk some trash and get the hype matchup, you know? And he right. actually did really well. Like, to be honest, I think Team Liquid, I could totally have seen them winning this game, um, except for impact and tactical were the big issues for me. And I, I'm not saying like, they're bad players because everybody has bad games. I think this is just bad games. I think Tactical's actually been really good this year. Mm-hmm. But Impact got ahead. He started out 201 um, because of a top dive that didn't work out that Jensen helped turn around. Um, but then he was like 3 3 instantly because he just kept getting picked off. Like his whole team would be topside and he would like solo contest at Drake when all of Cloud9 was down there and die. And it was like, He's just giving up shutdowns and giving over kills. It, it, it seemed like he kept getting caught out because he was like fighting when it was only him. Uh, and I think that wasn't very good. And I think something I noticed from Tactical is in most of the fights, like he, he, his scoreline looks good. Uh, if you look at the match history, Tactical was 2-1-2. and two, So I guess not a mm-hmm. terrible scoreline. But in every single fight that I saw him, he was like so far back and... Mostly all he did was like sit in the back and press Q on the on the tank and never even push up to like get down more DPS with autos. Like press Q twice and then would just run away. Um, and this could be a team problem for them not peeling for him. But in this match, like he they weren't able to win team fights because Cloud Nine's the people in the front were just not taking damage uh, because. Mm-hmm. You know, Tactical wasn't getting down that DPS that you need to get from Kai'Sa. 
and he did use his ultimate a couple times to get to you know to get kills and move to the back but he would only do that after a cloud nine member was already chunked to like all basically dead anyways just to secure the kill so he was like kill securing you know so he did his stat line didn't look bad but his damage was like very low it was lower than licorice's 045 set um Mm -hmm. damage and so is like it, for me, it was just a big problem because they, whether it was his fault for not playing more aggressive, or he just wasn't getting peeled well enough, you know, the the fights were ma- mainly just Brock's Jensen and Impact, um, and Core JJ providing some, uh, like some uh, CC, and I, I like really saw some issues with Impact getting picked off and Tactical not being able to get damage down. And, you know, I know it's Cloud9, so I shouldn't be too harsh, but I feel like if, if they had been able to get tactical activated with some damage and impact had gotten picked a, a couple less times, they actually could have totally won this game. I think they were actually, I believe, ahead in gold until somewhere between 20 and 25 minutes, which is very impressive against Cloud9. Yeah, yeah. the Yeah, between 24 and 25 minutes is when the gold lead actually flipped. But uh, at least the the way the game was playing out, it flipped a little bit earlier than that, probably around 15 minutes. That's the thing about C9 is that you got to really get as much of an advantage from them as you can before 15 minutes. Because after 15 minutes, like the stats that C9 has are pretty insane with basically they have full objective control like they get somewhere around 80 percent to 90 percent of their dragons they have almost every single first turret um in most of their games uh they control scuttles they control literally everything that they can possibly do on the map but that's the thing that i think is their biggest weakness in the early game is that that spreads them kind of thin and the only reason they're able to do that is because niski sacrifices farm in the early game and uh, in order to roam with blabber and right now teams aren't punishing that roam um i don't know why um i to me that's the only weakness that i even see with c9 is that sure like niski's going to roam and sacrifice farm for that but that puts you in the difficult position of choosing okay, I have to now either clear this wave and be up CS, or we're going to be in the same situation, but Niski's left earlier than me, so he's going to show up first. And sure, I can try counter ganking, but they've got three players strong there, and our jungler also isn't coordinated with where we're going on the map. They're just making plays. Um, So I, I think that the biggest disconnect that teams are having is they aren't playing things like that can wave clear against Niski. And this is kind of what I said last week too. And I think I said it week one as well, is that nobody has tried a mid laner who can constantly keep Niski shoved under turret. Like no one has tried playing a mid laner that does that. Um, And I think that that's one of the ways that you could see more consistent success out of your early game. If you can pick an early game, hard shove mid lane champion um, with a jungler that could protect them in theory. So like Lee Sin with all of his mobility, definitely a good choice. Um, Maybe even like a tank jungle or 
someone who can support in terms of damage, so like a ranged jungler. So maybe even Elise, who's traditionally more early game and aggro, also pretty good into a 2v2 against another mid laner. Um, or something like a Kindred, who is also ranged, puts out a decent amount of damage early. Um, but just, I, I want to see something where the mid lane is actually going aggressive on Misky and able to actually push him back. Because I don't think I've seen him under turret, like even last split. Um, and I don't know if it's just because he's that much better than every other mid laner, but I think it's hard to believe that given that NA has so much mid lane talent, even mm -hmm. imported mid lane talent. So I think it's definitely possible. It's just that nobody's taking that risk, which I think is a pretty strong calculated risk. Um, I think Jensen's come pretty close with TF. TF is really good at hard shoving waves, but the problem is that his wild cards don't do that much damage early. Um, you need someone who can shove waves early. Um, and uh, I hearken back to Zareth. I, do, I don't know why I come back to him all the time, but I just know that he's really, really good at clearing waves. Um, he can play aggro and he can poke under turret. I think that he's a good solution. Um, Ziggs, even, I don't really like how Ziggs plays. And I think that pros probably feel that same sentiment, but that's another one. Morgana. Another pretty good one. Galio even is also pretty good if you're playing him aggro. Uh, same with Oriana. So it's also about the style in which you play. And right now we're just not seeing mid laners really contest Niski in his roams and in his style that he likes to play. Like Cloud9 is being allowed to play the style that they like to play. And no one's really contesting them on stopping that at all. So I think that's the biggest issue with teams playing against Cloud9. Um, I agree that this game was very close. I think they had a pretty good early game. They were ahead by about 2,000 gold at one point. Um, and Broxy did a great job in the jungle. I think Impact actually held his own really, really well against Licorice and was even, I would almost say, was better than Licorice this game. Um, but I agree, tactical, his scoreline looks good afterwards because he was playing too safe. Um, the amount of potential damage he could have done to the other team was a lot higher and that could have helped stall out the game a little bit longer and with the team comp that you have with graves tf and um kaisa it could have contended with c9 later into the game since blabbers on lee sin lee sin doesn't scale as well um you've got nautilus over thresh thresh does scale but nautilus will always be a stronger tank um the only fear that you would have had is Sven and Niski. But at that point, you can start building Magic Resist because Set's not going to scale in terms of his damage. He built Bork for split push and Impact's already ahead of him by a lot. So this game in particular, I thought it was the closest game that C9 has had so far. C9 obviously pulled out the win, but I think that they, weren't, they didn't even seem like nervous because they're still playing the exact same way that C9 has been playing, and no one has tried to knock them off their tempo. I'm actually going to disagree with you a little bit here. I know we've talked about this game a lot already, um, mm -hmm. but I want to talk about it a little more just since I, I do think it was the best game we've seen against C9 so far, and since they're our most dominant team, right, uh, it's important to like kind of break down how, how teams can beat them. I actually think the mid lane was almost perfect this game. Um, for, for Team Liquid. Jensen, every time, seemed to just be on the strategy of, okay, well, 
you know, Niski's going to roam. I'll let him go roam, and wherever he roams to, I'll just ult over there, and I can still push mid lane while he's walking over there, and then when I ult over, we'll still have numbers and, and, and take the fight. And one thing that really impressed me out of um, Jensen was I think Niski gets does a lot in the Zoe matchup uh, against a lot of mid laners because he can land all of his abilities and skill shots. There were several times where Blabber walked into mid um, to help try to kill Jensen, and Jensen straight up just sidestepped all of Niski's abilities, pretty mm -hmm. much all of Blabber's abilities, didn't use any summoners, right? Did, he, he took cleanse, but didn't, like, it was like almost like he didn't have to most of the time because he was just mm -hmm. walking around the bubbles. He was like walking around uh, league queues. I mean, he, he not only generated pressure for his team by you know by like teleporting places and roaming mm -hmm. and matching roams he also absorbed a lot of pressure that blabber put um on mid lane because blabber was actually walking through mid quite a bit um in the mid game and i think it was really impressive to see jensen play like that and in, in a sense i kind of feel a little bit bad for him because right if i were to pick a a game where i thought you know the mid jungle of blabber and niski was a little bit outplayed i think jensen and broxa kind of did that this game especially early on yeah um but then they just kind of lost control of the game as it as it went farther and i i think part of it is cloud nines just just skirmishing they just skirmish so well they i mean they just would win the skirmishes and and just win the game from there and i think that's what happens a lot with a lot of teams uh and i think until teams stop being so scared of Cloud9, kind of like mm -hmm. you said, and are willing to play super aggressive back into them and take those skirmishes, you know, teams will look really, really bad doing it as well if they start losing all the fights. Yeah. But if they start, at some point you have to play to win. Um, and I think Team Liquid did that for a little bit and then kind of, you know, backed off. Like I think what you said with Tactical is true is his scoreline looked good because he was playing too safe. You know, when you stop playing to win against Cloud9, then you won't win, right? If yeah, you try to outscale them or just wait them out, they'll beat you. Uh, so I think I agree. I want to see more teams play to win against them. Yeah. Uh, they also played Immortals this week. I don't really think we need to talk about that. No. Stomp <laughs> is super fast. Yeah. Uh, just like we expected. Uh, one thing to note is that was Immortals Academy team, which is now their starting team. They they subbed in Academy, and we'll get to that more later when we get to them. Mm -hmm. uh, next, we have uh, a five-way tie for the number two spot so it's like a t five teams tied from two to six yep and the na soup is back yeah the na big na soup is back um and with a couple different teams uh but it so we'll, we'll just start with clg who's four and two this week they went one and one they lost to FlyQuest, and then they beat a hundred thieves um do you want to talk about clg jack yeah so clg was actually one of my week three winners um i think that they've actually shown that they're at minimum a middle of the pack team, if not a top five team, um, just with the way that they've been playing. Uh, their FlyQuest game was actually fairly close, as well as their win against 100 Thieves looked impressive. Um, they have some good players on the roster that are definitely stepping up, Pobelter being one of them, um, but also Stixe and their bottom lane doing very well. And Ruin is actually playing to his role super well. Um, he's a weak side top laner. He's used to being more strong side. And he's actually playing weak side really, really well. 
Um, like he's playing weak side, like just a normal lane. He's playing it almost like a mid lane and it's working. Um, so I, I think he's closest to someone like solo. I think that they both have like more aggressive tendencies, but are playing to them very well. Um, uh, also kind of like Kumo, I should say too. Um, those three are all kind of similar play styles. Um, and because of that, whatever is happening, it's synergistically working out really well for them. Um, this is obviously the team that I was not expecting to be in the soup at all. I thought mm -hmm. that they would be someone in bottom four, bottom three. Um, but they're definitely proving me wrong. And with their win against 100 Thieves, I think that that solidifies them as at least a middle of the pack, if not top five team. Mm -hmm. um, so with that, I... I don't really have much to say about their actual gameplay. I thought that um, they still have to work on their macro. Um, that is something that they do still have to work on, but they know how to win and they can do it decently consistently now. So because of that, I think that they're a winner for this week and could be one moving forward. Yeah, uh, I, I uh, agree. I think they did well this week. Uh, I think the FlyQuest game, uh, was pretty much uh, very close, and I actually think they would have won if it wasn't for just Power of Evil, uh, yeah. which I'll get to in a minute. Uh, there are 100 Thieves win, they just out-team out fought them. And I think that's one of the things that CLG does really well, is I think part of what they look really good in their wins is their team fighting. Uh, they, they'll draft a comp that they're comfortable with, and they'll take it into team fights and just win. Uh, it's... I mean, I'm sure there, there's a lot more to it, but just to simplify it is, is they're winning team fights. And I think one of the things I'm seeing out of them that I'm not seeing out of the other, you know, soupy second place teams is consistency. Uh, mm -hmm. They are consistently, and, and I know you could say they have it, had an easy schedule, right? Playing Golden Guardians, um, playing 100 Thieves. I believe they've also played Immortals already. Um, so... Yeah. You could say they have an easy schedule, but they're consistently beating these lower tier teams. Um, whereas that's not true for everyone. Um, so I think if, if they're going to consistently beat the lower teams, then they're definitely going to be top six. Um, where they right. end up in that is going to depend on these games, like the ones against FlyQuest that they lost. Uh, and that doesn't look good for them right now, but they were close in that FlyQuest game. And I think if they can... You know, if, if a couple things happen differently, they win that. And if they can do that against, you know, other teams that are foreign to like EG, TL, TSM, and, and get, pick up a couple wins in there, they could slide into the top four um, mm -hmm. pretty easily. And I think the other good thing is they were so bad um, last split and they've had the same roster. So I think they're going, they're on an upward trend right now. So I think yeah. if they keep getting better, they'll start to look more solid and they'll win more games like that FlyQuest game. Yeah. And that the actually leads thing... me into, uh, sorry, go ahead. The only thing that could be truly counter logic is if they go 2 0 next week against Cloud9 yeah. and TSM. Oh, that but, would be uh, truly counter logic. <laughs> oh, no, uh, counter, counter logic would be beating C9 and then losing to TSM. Yeah, maybe. Actually, <laughs> you're right. I think that would be even more counter logic. So, um, we'll see. But if they go 1 and 1 or 2 0 next week, like we could That's be insane. seeing a super different CLG. Right. Um, and I think they like those team fights i think they like to do them later than cloud nine so we'll see how that works but if they're willing to just pick a skirmishy comp and go for it maybe maybe they will um be that team to beat cloud nine but probably a little right. bit unlikely uh, the next team i wanted to talk about uh is FlyQuest. 
because I actually want to talk about a little bit about the FlyQuest CLG game. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, that game is a CLG win if it's not for Power of Evil. Uh, and I think, you know, FlyQuest went one and one this week. They beat CLG, but then they lost to Golden Guardians mm-hmm. in another match that I think would have been a definitive Golden Guardians win if it wasn't for Power of Evil. Um, yeah. And last split, a lot of FlyQuest looked good. This split, to me, it kind of looks like the everyone enable Power of Evil. He's playing these mages in the mid lane, like Syndra and Orianna, where he can kind of, you know, if he needs to peel for himself a little bit and th- throw some one-shots down. For example, the, the reason they won the CLG game is, you know, even if they were going to lose a fight, uh, or right before a fight, Power of Evil would one-shot um, one of the carries over on CLG's side. Uh, like, he'd one-shot Ezreal before a fight, and then now CLG can't win that fight. And in the Golden Guardians game, the Golden Guardians were actually very far ahead, and Power of Evil had some huge shockwaves uh, and was absolutely demolishing people. And when he had right. it, it's instantly when they killed him for the first time in the game, uh, top lane, GG just ran it down and won uh, without, without Power of Evil in the mid lane to provide that pressure and just, I mean, he's a really, really good player. Without him, they just lost. And yeah. I think if you're a FlyQuest fan, that has to be bad for you, I think. I, I mean, it's always great to have a player like Power Evil, Evil but you never want to fully rely on them. Because mm-hmm. when you get to best of fives, teams have some leeway to figure out how to shut someone down. And teams will straight up just ban only one lane if they think that's how they're going to win. And I believe if teams, you know, I don't think it's as good of a strategy for best of ones, but I think if teams just throw five bands at mid lane, get their mid laner a matchup and push Power of Evil down onto a pick where he may struggle to carry more or needs to be enabled, if FlyQuest can't enable him, I don't think they continue to beat uh, other teams. Um, Mm -hmm. They have other good players on their team. I think Santorin's playing well, but he plays around mid lane and gets a, a lot of help from Power of Evil. Um, I think Solo does well, and I don't think their bot lane's bad, but I don't think any of these other roles that they have truly can carry uh, kind of like Power of Evil can. Mm-hmm. I, I agree, and um, I, I think we've seen that out of PoE since he's even come to NA. Um, he's always been the person who's carrying his teams over the finish line. Um, well, one of my dark horses a while ago was Optic, and he was their mid laner at the time. Um, or no, 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 sorry, that was Crown. But I felt the same no, no, way no, about Power Crown. of Evil was on, on Optic. Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. And he did, okay. he did carry them. Yes, he did. He carried them to, I think, a sixth, and they got into um, playoffs. And then they won. lost right away. And then they lost, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's, that's just traditionally what this guy has been. So actually, this brings up an interesting point um, that I had thought about. So... A while ago, um, when Jat was still doing his podcast, um, he actually does 10 Thoughts with um, Kian yeah, Lam. Yep, yeah. and I think Kobe is now doing has done one or two of them with, with Kian. Yeah, yeah, and they're pretty good. And one of the conversations that they had was about war, which is wins above replacement. It's a stat from baseball. And they were talking about it in reference to Someday, uh, Last Split, where they mm-hmm. thought that Someday had the biggest war uh, of about like two or three games where like a hundred T would not have won those games if so, so, someone other than someday was in the top lane or the okay. power of replacement. 
So how many wins would you not have had if that player wasn't on the team? Right. And so I think this is an estimated that. Yeah, it's okay. not estimated. They actually have a way of actually calculating it in baseball. Um, I think that it would be really difficult to calculate it, like in league, a hundred percent for league. Yeah, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of stats in league, so you could be able to do it. War is supposed to be an aggregate stat of your role on the team. So, like, um, you can have a war for a pitcher as opposed to average pitchers. You can have a war for like each position as well as how well you bat and everything. So okay. you could, in theory, develop it for a uh, league. But I think it's a little bit more. Yeah, I think it's a little bit more speculative because of how you observe it. And I definitely think that Poe is one of those people who has a high war for the teams that he's part of. Like he can single-handedly change uh, a loss to a win for a team. I would agree. Yeah. Um, So I I think that's just another person to bring up. I I don't know if I can think of any others off the top of my head. Um, I think maybe X Smithy in the jungle. Um, cause he definitely led IMT to a few wins just off of his shot calls and his macro play, I think. Um, but I can't really think of other, uh, players that would have like that single-handedly or at least play a large factor in a team winning versus losing. I think um, this one would be disputable, but I think you could perchance say closer. I don't think he... You know, he doesn't carry in the fact that he gets all the kills or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think he's a large driving factor of what that what Golden Guardians plays around to win. And I think if they didn't have a strong jungle present, I think presence, I think, you know, DeMonte and FBI and, and who he, you know, Hanser has always been good playing weak side. But I think um, the rest of the team might struggle without him. So I think he might have a few. But I definitely agree that I think Power of Evil would be probably top of that list. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's an interesting point to bring up now that 100T is actually lower in the standings where you're not talking about someday solo carrying. It, it could just be that PoE is even more consistent um, and he probably might have like the highest value of a player because that's, that's one of the ways that you take value into consideration for baseball is how good someone's war is, right? Um, you don't want to have a team full of really good war players though uh, just because... It, it's also a lot about synergy and what positions they play. Um, but having two or three of them helps you win games that you otherwise might have lost. And really, these players are like clutch players. Mm-hmm. Um, so for like thinking about it in terms of league, if you had two war players on your team with pretty good synergy, like if PoE and Someday were on the same team, um, you could have a really interesting team that just pulls out these wins. Or like X Smithy and... Um, and poe on the same team like they could just pull wins out of a hat basically when it looks like you're gonna lose mm-hmm. um and sometimes that makes the difference too yeah um, and i just wanted to say you know for me you know one of my week three losers is, is FlyQuest, and and yeah. part of it it has to do with what you're saying here um i, I wrote down FlyQuest minus power of evil because uh, it's hard to say he's a loser with basically him carrying his team um but the reason I think their losers for this week is 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 partially a dependent on this war, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think part of the reason he does so well, um, and I don't want to take anything away from what he does, is that if you think about that optic team, um, people thought Medios was fantastic in the jungle as well, and he mm-hmm. and he might have been, um, but people didn't think it was only Power of Evil. And then with CLG, right, they replaced Power of Evil with Crown, and they're like, oh, Crown's a better player, will yeah. do just as well. 
And, you know, when you replace only Power of Evil with Crown, a world champion, mm -hmm. on that team, they did terrible. Absolutely yeah. terrible. And last split, you know, if I asked you about FlyQuest, right, you, you would certainly say Power of Evil is one of their strengths, but you mm -hmm. would also be saying Ignar and Santorin and, you know, oh, Solo replacing Viper, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think on the teams he's been on, part of the reason Power of Evil has is able to carry is because they can get him and enable him with these champions and these picks. And yeah. they disguise the fact that he, how much of a carry he is on that team so that he doesn't get banned out. And I think this week, at least, was very clear that he's their main carry, and without them, they really struggle. And yeah. what worries me is if, if it becomes too visible to other teams and they focus him down, I, I think they'll win a lot, lot less. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of like you want him to do well, but you want to disguise that a little bit because if it's, right, how teams play against 100 Thieves, you know, they know some days the guy. So they mm -hmm. dedicate a little more resources top lane or ban him out more. And all of a sudden, 100 Thieves isn't winning as much. And I, and I think I worry that that could happen to FlyQuest if people start to realize how, really how much of the weight of uh, carrying on this team is on Power of Evil. Yeah, and I think, I think that's what they're trying to do with adding MASH into the roster is someone else who isn't... Uh, I, will, I don't want to necessarily say as aggro, um, but someone who's a little bit more consistent in the late game so that it's not only on PoE to win. But I think that the weakness of that then is that you're missing that early game strength that Wild Turtle has. Um, mm -hmm. And I think since the meta is shifting a little bit more towards early game, I, I almost predict that we're going to see Wild Turtle back in on FlyQuest. Um, not just because, like, MASH has gone 3-1. and one. Like, he's looking pretty good. Um, but with the way that the meta is shaking out, I almost think that Wild Turtle is just a better addition to the team. Um, gotcha. And, and I think that even though he might not be as strong of a carry and it might just accentuate PoE a little bit more and he might be more of a target for bans, um, I just think that in terms of the whole of the team, um, it might be better synergistically to have Wild Turtle in um, as opposed to MASH. But... I do think that MASH has been performing very well. I think that he's LCS caliber, so I'm not at all saying that. I'm just saying that in terms of what FlyQuest needs on its team, um, it definitely needs more early game presence. Um, mm -hmm. And I think what they're leaning towards is we actually need to be able to secure and close in the late game. Uh, my field of thought has always been um, that you need to set yourself up to be able to have the easiest close. Mm -hmm. um so that means having the best early game possible right. um people have different schools of thought so that's just mine uh but i i think that if they're following that line of thinking then wild turtle's probably going to come back right okay uh let's move on to evil geniuses i i, I personally just kind of want to brush over this real quick they yeah. beat tia or they lost to tsm sorry and they beat dignitas and they were expected to beat dignitas it wasn't very close and I feel like the TSM one here is more something we want to talk about uh, with, with TSM. TSM. Yeah. So unless you have anything to say about Evil Geniuses, we can move right into TSM. No, I don't really have that much to say. They're another person in the soup. Um, I think that they still look good, but yeah, expected. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to TSM, also in the soup at 4-2. 
They went 2-0 this week. Finally broke out of the one-in-one weeks that they've been having. They beat <laughs> Evil Geniuses in a very impressive win. And then they played uh, Sunday, a Sunday against 100 Thieves in what was, I would say, a very interesting game. And something I have noticed is, you know, watching that best-of-five last split, 100 Thieves versus TSM in some of the games last split, TSM and 100 Thieves tend to play these very drawn-out games where any t- like it'll flip who wins every other team fight and the teams mm-hmm. won't quite end the game every time they win the team fight uh and and it results in these games that, that I see a lot of people on Reddit and on other places on the internet calling stupid and bad but if you're just watching to have fun they're fantastically awesome to watch yeah. uh, they're very entertaining they're very tense they're exciting um i think there's a lot to talk about in this game uh, and I'll let you talk about that since you're kind of the TSM uh, TSM fan here. Uh, but I just wanted to mention something that I saw at the end that looked kind of goofy to me watching. Um, I could be wrong here um, in terms of what's best to do, but at the end of the game, Bjergsen, right, uh, did that backdoor. And mm-hmm. Bjergsen didn't have TP, so Bjergsen walked into the base and started backdooring. And in the meantime, 100 Thieves had just taken Elder and was winning the rest of the fight. And TSM wasn't stopping backs from 100 Thieves, but instead of backing, 100 Thieves ran from Elder Dragon back to base. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's possible, like if you time that, that it might be somehow faster, but I can't imagine a world in which walking from Elder Pit all the way to your own Nexus is less than seven seconds. Um, Yeah. So for me, that was a little bit troll- because both, I think it was, Someday was running back. I think maybe the other person running back was, was Medios. Uh, but Someday was definitely the one that was there right next to Bjergsen at the end when he ended it. And mm-hmm. Someday walked all the way from Elder. And nobody was stopping his back and hitting him. He was walking unhit. I feel yeah. like if he had just walked into a bush and backed, maybe he could have stopped Bjergsen. Um, I don't want that to take away from the great play Bjergsen made and, and the rest of the game, which was very entertaining. It just seemed a little goofy to me. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, it's really hard that late in the game. So like it was a, it was the longest game we've seen in the LCS so far for this mm-hmm. split, um, and that's kind of how TSM hundred T games normally are. Um, but I think that at that moment, like when you're Aatrox and you have Ult, which gives you like an egregious amount of move speed. Um, and you don't want to take the risk of having your back stopped. I think that if you're someday, you just ult and run as fast as you can and use all of your dashes and everything to get back to base. I think that's what was going through his mind because you don't know also what's going to happen in the next seven seconds if people are going to suddenly like stop backs or change their tactics. I think that that was one of the reasons why TSM really wasn't focused on stopping backs was they didn't notice anybody going to do them. Um, so, I don't know. Tactics can flip basically on a dime. Um, and the game was definitely close. The one thing that I will say about it is that TSM actually had the opportunity to end the game a few times pretty early. And mm-hmm. they instead like went a little over-aggressive. And I'm actually not really going to blame them for that. They're one of my winners this week. And actually, this game is one of the reasons for that. I think that they definitely needed experience with closing out late game games because 
all of last split, every time the game went over 35 minutes, they ended up losing. So now they actually have a win under the belt with a game that's long. Um, they went over aggressive, but they almost never really went over aggressive last split, except uh, for when Dardock was diving in and then dying. And then everyone was like, oh, Dardock's playing over aggressive. But actually at this point, TSM as a team was playing over aggressive, but they were all doing it. Um, mm -hmm. And I felt that was good. That means their synergy is building and improving. Um, and even though it might not have been the right decision, if you're in a game later, like let's say they're at a Worlds game, like now they kind of know how that plays out. So they're going to have that experience under their belt about, okay, instead here, like we push them off and then we take inhib because it's guaranteed at that point because we know that we've pushed them off rather mm -hmm. than pushing too far beyond and then you don't even have inhib turret taken. You know? Limit testing is good. Yeah, and I, I think that that's what the first third of the split is for, is a lot of the development of your team and synergy. Um, and with this first third in the belt, like I think the TSM has a lot of learnings that they got from it. Fika has accumulated to the team really well. I think that their vision, like they said, is to develop another blabber. Um, I think that they should almost be trying to develop a Yankos with the kind of team comp they have, but um, or the players that they have, but Developing a blabber is also not a bad thing. I think that he's probably one of the best junglers in the world right now. Um, and I think that he is replicating the style very well. Um, he doesn't need a lot of resources, Spica, I mean. Um, mm. And he's been doing a lot for the team without a lot of resources. Uh, they've actually been splitting Spica amongst Bjergsen, Doublelift, and Broken Blade very well. He just seems to play how the game evolves. And it, it, it almost seems like TSM has a kind of plan in the early game, and they're able to adapt and flex to it really easily. Where like, Spica could be like, oh, actually Broken Blade is doing well right now, and Bjergsen and Doublelift aren't in the best spot, I can gank for Broken Blade. Or mm -hmm. Bjergsen's in a really good spot, and we've been practicing this, I can definitely do this gank. Like, things like that. Um, I think that we're definitely starting to see that out of TSM. Now, the big thing is going to be how well they can transition this into the second third of the split, um, which is a lot more of the make it or break it part. This is uh, the next six games are going to determine like where the teams actually stand before everyone starts tryharding for the last six games. Um, so these next six games from TSM are going to be very interesting and are going to be self-fulfilling in terms of uh, where they're actually going to end up and whether or not they're going to be in a good placement for uh, playoffs or not. Yeah, um, and another thing I wanted to say about this 100 Thieves game, uh, TSM game, is I, I just wanted, I felt like I need to give a shout out to Biofrost. His Blitzcrank was great, and one of the things I liked about it that I felt that he didn't do that I see a lot of good Blitzcranks fall for, is once he started hitting the hooks and was getting hyphy and was like, oh yeah, I got it, I can hook everybody, a lot of really good Blitzcranks then get too excited just to hit hooks and start hooking members of the other team, like the tank, right into the ADC. Or like in a set, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. I think sometimes that ends up backfiring and causing a good Blitzcrank to lose a game. Yeah. Uh, and one thing I noticed is I, I didn't see Biofrost do that uh, is very much. I think he, most of the time, even when he hooked a more healthy member of 100 Thieves, he hooked them at a time that 
you know, TSM had the time to burst them down um, yeah. and chunk them out. And I think he did, he was absolutely, I think he enabled double it so well with that Blitzcrank. Like, the first kill that they got, he just he just got the hook and all double it had to do was just press Q and get the kill, collect the kill. Um, yeah. So I think he did really well and I think that needs to be acknowledged. And, and we should talk about the other game TSM had this weekend against EG, where mm-hmm. I would say that they looked like the TSM that everybody wanted to see when we heard that this roster was coming together. They right. looked great. Uh, they absolutely abused Jizuge in the mid lane, and they just totally dominated the game, I would say. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. This is definitely what we want to see from TSM, considering that two weeks ago, I considered EG to be the second best team, and last week they were definitely up there in terms of the debate for top two, top three. Um, TSM winning here just showcases how quickly they're gaining synergy as a team and also the different styles of play that they're adjusting to. Um, you know, the two back-to-back games of tank fiddle mid were like great experimentation, but we saw like two pretty meta comps out of TSM this week and they performed like above and beyond my expectations. Um, and I think this is, you're right, exactly what we were expecting from them. Um, when we heard about this team and the players on it. So I think that you can be high on TSM actually uh, after this week, and hopefully they'll be able to translate that into a pretty good next week against uh, GG and CLG. Um, Should not be as difficult of competition as they had this week in terms of overall. Um, But hey, this is where you prove that you're now a more consistent TSM. Right, so I'm looking for a 2-0 next week. If they can 2-0 next week, I will definitely start definitively saying that TSM is probably a top three, top four team, um, with the consistency that they show with those wins, as well as the teams that they've beat so far. Yeah, I think that would be huge for them. Uh, let's talk about the last team in this uh, four and two soup is yep. Team Liquid. Uh, we already talked about their game against C9. That was probably the most contested game against C9, but it was a loss. And then they beat Dignitas on Saturday in a very unconvincing fashion. In fact, Dignitas looked really good, and I thought that they were going to win this game um, and uh, beat Team Liquid, but that didn't quite happen. Yeah, this was also a long game. This is kind of what I, like, expected from the, the TSM... 100T game, like very close. Um, ultimately, TL won. And I think that the main reason for that is just the experience that they have in the mm-hmm. later stages of the game. Um, but it was really close. And this is not really what you want to be seeing out of Team Liquid. Um, I can say the same things that I said about TSM for them, though. They ha- now have more experience with winning in the late game, which they did not have from last split, which is a good carryover. Um, they practiced a pretty good comp. I think that they put a lot of their eggs into the early game basket with having both Jace and Lee Sin, and with both of them being their strongest uh, parts in the earlier part of the game. Um, they that did not transition over as well. Um, so I don't know. I think you kind of almost fell into the Dignitas win condition of late game with Aphelios, Orn, and Karma. <laughs> like yeah. Uh, they, they kind of just didn't win fast enough. Um, now, they ended up winning in the late game, which is just to show like they're probably way better at team fighting than Dignitas is. 
Um, Cause I think right now Dignitas is heavily relying on the fact that Johnson and Aphromoo are their strongest points. And then Acadian is actually doing very well in the jungle. Like beyond that, I don't really see any shining parts about dig. Um, and that's really sad. Cause I think that Johnson's a really, really good ADC. Um, and I'm glad that Aphromoo is doing significantly better as support. Um, and it, it sucks for Acadian too, who's trying to be this really good jungler on a on a great team, um, and just all of those three parts aren't really panning out. Um, and you need you need a roster of five that actually works. And for right now, Dignitas isn't quite working. Um, yeah, I think that's the missing. only thing. Yeah, they're missing a lot of mid jungle synergy, uh, in yeah. my opinion. I think Froggen and Acadian are both can can both be good individual players but they don't really work well together and i think froggen's going to take a lot of heat um i'm wondering if he'll get benched because he is an import slot um yeah because he did take a lot of heat if you heard freak casting that game uh yeah froggen was kind of clearing mid uh while the game was being ended and uh freak absolutely laid into him um it was pretty savage. If you haven't heard it, you should go back and listen to it. He's saying things like, congratulations, Froggen. You got more far mid lane while your team lost. Uh, it, was, it was pretty yeah. intense. Um, maybe, maybe a little bit uh, you know, t- too aggressive. But you know, when, when you lose a game like that where you had the team fight advantage, it just, it's, it's a little bit sad. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and you hate to see it. But... Contesting Team Liquid is definitely the best I think they've looked this split. Um, Lorlo actually did well, which I don't think Lorlo... I think Lorlo's kind of washed. I don't think he's a great player. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was 2-0-3 on the worm. And he was doing a really good job of, you know, keeping in front of and tanking everything up for Johnson to get those kills. So yeah. I think, you know, they do have some positive outlook going forwards that I that I hope they, they take into some other games. Yeah. Uh, so let's and- move on past the soup now we yes. have golden guardians at two and four in lone seventh place um i yep. think they heard that tsm stopped being the coin flip confusing team uh so they <laughs> wanted to take it over you know they, they tried last week by losing to clg and then looking somewhat impressive and beating cloud nine in the early game but still losing uh this week they decided to take it up to another level uh they lost to immortals academy uh and then they beat FlyQuest. Um, and really what I want to say about this team is the, 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 the positive, there's obvious negatives. Uh, they lost to an Academy team, uh, that looks really bad for them. Uh, I would say the positive is I think they've won early game, every single game this split. Um, I don't think they've lost a single early game except for maybe their very first game. Uh, but every other early game they've won. They beat CLG in the early game. They had Cloud. They were up on Cloud Nine in their very early game. Um, both this, the games this weekend, uh, they against Immortals and FlyQuest, they were up in the early game. They just can't really close. Uh, and I think, you know, I don't see them being able to to fix that enough to 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 be a top tier team. But as this these soup teams start to play each other. Maybe if they can fix that up a little bit, they can try to slide up into sixth. Um, they definitely do look better th- than some of the eight, nine, ten teams some of the time because they are losing to some of them. Uh, yeah. I like that they have a unique style where they go for these early game uh, pressure comps and try to split push to get wins, but they just need to execute better on it. I think I think is yeah. is, is, the, is the thing. I think 
they they all, they have the talent to and and you see that in their wins and how they get these leads um they just need to practice closing which i think is really really hard uh because that means you have to get a scrim where the other team's taking it seriously and you get up and the other team still tries to win uh cuz yeah. i think what i've heard a lot about scrims in na is when a team gets up significantly like 4 or 5k in the mid game the other team just gives up or they'll just ff the scrim uh mm-hmm. and i think you can really see that that's probably the case here with Golden Guardians because they say they are winning a lot of scrims. And I think that might be what's happening, right? In the, in the scrims, the other team's not trying uh, once they get that big lead or that medium lead and they mm-hmm. look really good. But then it, on stage, the other team actually tries and Golden Guardian's not used to, oh, we're starting to get outscaled against this team. You know, they're yeah. not used to having to do this super late game split pushing um, and they don't have a lot of experience with it. And I think that's showing. Um, some positive news for them, is, well, not necessarily positive, is their coach has previously been really sick, um, an arrow, and he was actually cleared mm-hmm. he doesn't have coronavirus. Um, it, it could be a false negative, but um, I think he's started, supposedly starting to feel a little bit better, and he has been totally isolated uh, for a while now. So I think him getting a little bit better, he, he might be able to coach them to through these late-game scenarios. Um, I think I, I am obviously a, a GG fan, but for those of you who aren't GG fans, I think you know you can kind of root for them for having at least some sort of unique and exciting style in NA. When everyone mm-hmm. else is is skirmishing and playing standard, um, they are really going for the split push and these early game leads, kind of like some of the European and LPL teams do. Um, but you, the comparison kind of stops there uh, because they can't carry it forwards through a win. Um, so I think if they can step it up, it'll be really good for NA to learn how to beat teams like this and yeah. good for them because I think the unique style will pick them up a lot of wins. But they don't have it figured out right now. Um, so I don't think they need to swap anyone out, but I do think they need to really crack down, practice harder, and figure stuff out. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I don't have that much to say about GG. They were my like question mark of the week um, just because of the loss to IMT, but the impressive win over FlyQuest. Um, I agree about the flip-floppiness. I definitely feel that being a hundred uh, a TSM fan. Um, the flip-flops can be a little bit unnerving, but that's also why you're the fan, right? Yeah, uh, and, and I think that's you know kind of it with them. They're, they're, they're confusing at this point. They're a big question mark. They do have some interesting stuff going on. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, whether they fall apart because of this or they can rally and really uh, cement this style. Yeah. You should talk about uh, Immortals now, actually, since they beat Golden Guardians this weekend. Yep. Uh, Immortals Academy actually had a 3-0 weekend. Or, or maybe 4 I'm not sure about their other Academy game, but they beat Golden Guardians Academy. Then they beat Golden Guardians. And... Uh, or sorry, three one, and then they lost to C nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really impressed, and a lot of discussion that this brought up um, were people saying there should be some sort of little cup um, preseason that includes top six academy, four prospect teams, and then all of the LCS teams. And people are kind of pushing for this because, to be honest, they just beat Golden Guardians, who's in seventh place. Yeah, uh, and. To even more to their point, Golden Guardians beat FlyQuest. So they're really showing that they were 3-3 three and three in Academy. They weren't one of the best Academy teams, but they're beating mid-tier LCS teams. Um, yeah. 
So I think it really shows that the, the gap that people seem to think exists between LCS and Academy might not really be there. Um, and I think, especially with teams this year, like 100 Thieves and Immortals, not a now their, their new Academy, their old LCS team, and Dignitas, mm-hmm. you know, they have a pretty strong argument to be made. Um, and I think it kind of shows, you know, people always complain about Academy not developing talent. Well, maybe it's there and they're just not getting played. Um, I think that's yeah. something interesting to think about. Um, I'm not sure yet. I think we need to see more of, uh, out of this Immortals Academy team than just a, a Golden Guardians win. Uh, you know, just one kind of... You can always get a fluke win here and there. If they start beating some other teams, I think uh, th- they have a really strong argument to be made. And I would be interested to see LC, like a, a preseason LCS versus Academy um, tournament with, with low stakes. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the idea of adding in prospect teams um, of maybe like purely NA players, um, mm-hmm. like maybe the scouting grounds teams that get developed, um, incorporated in, um, who knows. But I, I, I like the idea of that and the notion of that, just because it gives more players a shot at understanding like how the LCS plays, as well as showcasing some strong players in a competitive setting. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that that's a great idea um, and something that definitely could be implemented. But I, I do want to talk a little bit more about Academy, but we have two other teams that we really quickly should go over. We already kind of talked a lot about 100T. They had an O2 week, um, as well as the other team who we have to talk about, left Dignitas, also had an O2 week. Um, I don't know if you have a lot to say about these teams. Um, I think the biggest shining star for Dig, like I said, was their bot lane seems to be doing really well, as well as Acadian. Um, and for 100T, it's mainly some days still trying to solo carry, and I don't really see that much of a difference there. Ryoma is gradually improving as a mid laner, um, but I still wouldn't say he's past anyone yet um, on my standings of mid laners for NA. Yeah, he actually did had like a pretty good looking week against TSM. He he was a big part of the reason they, they were competitive. Um, mm-hmm. Something to talk about them real quick is actually Stunt and Meteos were both benched. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not sure um, who their replacements are going to be. It's going to be from their academy team. But Meteos actually went on Twitter after he got benched. Actually, so just to interrupt real quick, um, Poom and Contracts are, are yes. the people who will be playing next week. Yeah, um, I see him. Medios del- since deleted it, but he was on Twitter and said, you know, I like can't believe this is happening after all I put into this team, I'm getting benched. Um, and he, he did say something about thinking he sacrifices for his team a lot, and maybe that's why his scoreline, and he feels like he's getting punished for sacrificing for the team. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, like a, a lot of people were bashing him for it being unprofessional, um, but I think... If, if you have a disagreement with the team and you're benched when you feel like you're doing a good thing, I think speaking out only hurts you. Uh, because if that's truly your belief, it, it, it's important to say, but it, it only hurts you getting benched. The team may not want to put you back in um, because of your, your complaints about them and mm-hmm. how that looks for you for future teams, right? Well, a future team wants you if you complain about your own management on the internet. And I think, you know, that's his own decision, right? If that's what Medios wants to say on his social media, he should be able to say it. Um, yeah. I think it's actually an interesting point because for me, I see the big issues 
from 100 Thieves, I would rank their top two issues as Stunt and Ryoma. Uh, yeah. I would not have put Medios in there, but that's the team's decision. And, you know, the team is the one in the practice room every day. So uh, I think this is a management decision, and, and, and it's their job to make this team good. So I think really their performance is at one in five is not what they expected. And if they, if they, if they start picking up wins with contracts and Poom, I think, you know, that'll really show the answer there, right? If Ryoma goes out next week and still looks really bad or contracts doesn't look any better, I think, um, you know, Medios will, will, will probably look a lot more right. I think it's to tell, right? You can't tell right now whether that's necessarily true or not because we haven't seen them win. Um, so I, th- I just think that's the scenario, right? You just have to wait and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, this is more of a wait-and-see scenario. Um, I definitely think that Medios is one of the best. Uh, I've always said that Medios is one of the best like mental junglers. He definitely has the best shot calls and understanding about how to jungle from like a optimization standpoint, as it were. Um, so I think it kind of sucks that they're benching him. Um, like you said, though, like speaking out about it only hurts you the most. Um, so it, it, it is kind of sad to see that media's kind of outbursted like that, but also those things happen. Um, I don't think that should be something that's held against him because um, mm-hmm. he is a long-term player and obviously like getting benched while you think that you're doing a, like the right thing. Um, obviously like that's a difficult position to be in. Um, right. But we'll see what a hundred T does after this. Um, I think it'll be an interesting shakeup. I definitely think that Stunt was... If I had to bench one person on the team, it probably would have been Stunt, just because his mm-hmm. play style doesn't interact well with the team. I think we said that back on the first episode of uh, the podcast um, when we were talking about our uh, tier list or our power rankings of the teams. Um, I think Stunt was our biggest question mark, and even moving him around to different teams seems like a better fit. Um but I, I guess we'll see what happens now um, with the incorporation of um, contracts who has played in the LCS before. Um, and what was the other guy's name? Poom, P-O-O-M-E. Uh, he has not played in the LCS before. Yes. Uh, this will be a shot. And he is lucky enough, I would say lucky enough, to be paired with Cody Sun in the bot lane. So, you know, Cody Sun does have the talent. Um, whether he's good right now is a debatable but he mm-hmm. does have that talent, so I think if Poom can... Poom, all Poom has to do is enable him. I think, right, some supports have, have a tougher job around the league. For example, Core JJ's role has always been to uh, do a lot of the laning and pro- provide lane pressure for double lift and tactical to, to do stuff. I think Cody Sun is very comfortable scaling AD, so I think uh, Poom's main job is to uh, support him in lane and help them fight him Cody Sun farm up and get to that late game potential and peel for him. And yeah. I think the good news for him is, you know, I think a lot of times when people get subbed in from Academy, they're put in terrible positions. Uh, for example, Immortals, uh, you know, when Potluck got put in for Smithy, he was replacing a jungler that everybody loved on what was already a very bad team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think he was kind of put in a bad position. But I actually think, you know, even though Immortals, or sorry, 100 Thieves is one in five here. Uh, this is a good position for Poom to be in. Uh, this is a good place to come in. There's low expectations with where this team has put themselves, and he has decent players around him uh, to, to 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 try to you know show that he's 
uh, LCS talent. So hopefully we'll see good things out of him. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to Dignitas. Um, there's not a lot to talk about. They look decent against Team Liquid this week. They went 0-2 this week. They're 6 They're in sole 10th place now with Immortals winning. Uh, I think really there's not a lot to talk about other than maybe potentially they, they said they were running a 10-man roster where the best team plays, but they've mm-hmm. still not made any changes, which makes me think that this is their best team. Yeah. Uh, that with with Viper, or sorry, with they they did make Lorlo the Lorlo yeah, Viper they switch. Uh, they actually did make a switch, um, but outside of that, they've kept Acadian, they've kept Froggen, uh, they've kept Johnson and Avromu. So I think they it just shows that this is the best team that they can put out right now, and it's just not doing well. So I think week to week they just need to do their best to try to you know practice, get some more synergy, and pick up wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I definitely agree that this looks like their best team. I think that. I mean, they don't really have anyone who would be a good swap, in my opinion, that they that they have active on their roster. Um, mm-hmm. the, like the only two that are flexible right now that they've been like flexing are Acadian and Dardock and Lorlo and Viper on their um, academy team. They haven't tried Phoenix, um, but Phoenix hasn't had like a big showing in the mid lane in a while. Um, and if I remember correctly, he was a lot more of a passive and always a headed farm mid laner um, rather than an aggressive. And I think he was best known for his Azir. And that's just not what the meta is right now. Um, that being said, I'm recalling that from a while ago. So I don't know how good um, he is right now or not. Um, but I think that the only swap, the only other swap they could really feasibly make is Dardock for Acadian. And right now, Acadian's actually been performing pretty well, even though his stat lines might not be the best. He's been jungling well. Um, so there isn't really a need to shift him. I guess Lorlo, in his first game, he did pretty well. Um, he actually played pretty well both games this week. So I think that the only flexibility they actually have is in their top lane. And sadly, that's just not the most impactful role right now. Mm-hmm. So I think the digs kind of stuck. Um, they just need to learn how to win again. And I think that only comes with grinding out games in um, scrims that are actually like relevant. Um, and I think you just got to scrim as many teams as you can right now and try to figure out how you win with the roster you have. And once you can string some wins together on the side, it'll build up your confidence for the actual stage. Cause I think that's all they're really missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll see them get a win or two here coming up. Um, yeah. Before we move into uh, some other leagues and we talk about what's going on there, there, there were just a couple things I wanted to talk about um, from the league pro scene in general. And one of them I want to talk about is recently Maja Felix, who's, uh, on Fnatic Rising, I believe. Yep. He hit Challenger. He has a Challenger account in every role. Um, and last year, actually, about I think it was like almost a year ago today, he had hit you know five accounts in the top ten um, mm-hmm. in, in your in EU. I think it's EU West server. Uh, yeah, I might be wrong there. But I think he did that two years in a row because he did it in 2018, and I think he did it last year too. So and now he has Challenger on. He has a count for where he just plays that role. Uh, and he, he has a challenger account in every single role. Um, and I know one of the big things that, that people 
you know, put out there for why he's not playing professionally is he struggles with communication and some personal stuff. Mm -hmm. But for me, um, I think this just shows that the esports scene isn't quite as developed as we want it. Um, In traditional sports, there are players who have, you know, trouble communicating or, you know, maybe not be, might not be the best teammates. Um, And I think you can see that in every sport. Um, In the NBA, you can see players like Draymond Green or Russell Mm -hmm. Westbrook that have, have teammate issues, but are very clearly talented players. Um, And there are coaches in place and, and, and things in place, right. To improve and find the best position for those players, for them to be utilized and, you know, it, for example, in the two cases I provided, the Warriors ha- have found a way to, to work with Draymond Green and he, his teammates love him, even though he's one of the most, you know, irritative personalities. And I think Russell Westbrook has been worked in with the Thunder, you know, uh, KD left, there were some issues there. But now with the Rockets, he looks really good and they're a really good team. And I think you see it in all sorts of sports. I think, you know, there are some players without a doubt that are have too many issues to be on a team for example like antonio brown is probably the best right wide receiver in the Mm -hmm. nfl right now but he has too many problems um he's repeatedly proven to be a problem in the inside and outside of the locker room but there are definitely players in all leagues um traditional sports leagues that have personality issues where they get these inflated egos or they're not the best at communicating with the team but that's the coaching staff. Um, that's, you know, people you bring in to take care of that. And I think the fact that, you know, especially with how Fnatic is Fnatic specifically is performing, Nemesis is one of their biggest problems. But willing to sub in this guy who's very clearly one of the most talented players in all of Europe. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if, if, if Fnatic is willing to shop him to other teams, but if I'm a team in the LCS that's missing a mid, or honestly, screw it, any of these roles. Uh, you know, yeah, uh, maybe not support, but right. He, he clearly, he can play the other positions too. Um, in league, I think it's worth it for them to hire someone who becomes a personal mentor uh, for Magic Felix. Um, regardless of who can get him, if someone mm-hmm. can get their hands on this talent, I think the esports scene needs more of this. You know, someone who can be a personality manager, right? Someone who can be there to guide him. Because to be honest, these are personal things that, that everyone can work on, right? Communicating better with others and being a better person to those around them. And we do have systems set up in society to deal with that. And I feel like, you know, if you're not willing to invest in a player just just because of their personality, I feel like that, that shows a weakness in the esports system, right? They, yeah. they should be willing to, you know, actually it's much harder to just tell someone to get mechanically better than to tell, teach them how to communicate with their teammates in a proper and positive fashion, you know? Right. Because um, in a lot of cases, you can't, you can't just become more talented, you know? Uh, but he's got the talent he just needs. I, I think it's an interesting uh, case study on where esports can improve, and I think it shows that esports still has a ways to go if talents mm-hmm. like this can't be incorporated. And I'm not saying esports can't do it, because I think Jensen, Incarnation, you know... Uh, oh. He was perma-banned from League, and then uh, he came over to NA, and he had a a ton of success. And he's been one of the best NA mids for a long time. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think there are success stories, but I think 
uh, it needs to be developed more if, if players like Magic Felix are still not in a top league somewhere, you know? Yeah. Maybe, you know, he's not, you know, his problems are too much for EU where there are plenty of other good mids. Um, fine. He, he should be sent over to NA, right? A league that's, that's accepted uh, people like that before. And I think, yeah. you know, he deserves a spot somewhere. Uh, and I think yeah. it, it really needs to be worked on. I definitely agree. And I think that getting challenger in every role, like this reminds me of like a caps or a perks, right? Like right. they play every role really well. Um, and that really helps you with your whole understanding of the game. Like this is someone, and I've actually followed Magic Felix for a little while because um, I actually watch uh, Midbeast and he does analysis of players. So he mm -hmm. likes Magic Felix and he likes Dopa. He'll also analyze like Faker and things like that or Caps. Um, yeah. And Magic Felix is one of his favorites because his and Dopa's play style are very similar. And Dopa is one of the best players of all time that never went pro. Um, because he also had problems kind of like incarnation level. Um, mm -hmm. um, and they, he never really like riot, never really recovered him from that. Um, but I think that you're right. There's a lot of talent out there that just isn't getting tapped into. And a lot of the reasons for it seem to be things that are fixable, like coaches, um, or dedicated assistants. Um, so I think that that's definitely right. I think another thing to bring up is all of the talent that we're missing that we don't even get to hear about. There's so many players in the LPL that like, I think that don't even get talked about um, mm -hmm. that are, I think there's a hundred players in the LPL Academy and there's like three levels of play. They, in they have an insane player based yeah. out there. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's huge. And all of them are like, pretty direct talent and they're all competing for the spots on the LPL stage. So like, that's why there's so much talent and that's why the LPL is so good right now. One of the reasons is because of um, all of this talent they have access to and nobody seems to be scouting it or wanting to do language translation and work through communication mm -hmm. problems. Um, I think that communication is really important in a game like league where you it's also important in something like valorant or csgo or pretty much any video game where communication is actually something that's tied to the game as opposed to something where in like football right. you have your play and it's kind of internal communication after that it's like okay i know how this player works like mm -hmm. i know his tendencies and i know that he's going to actually like fake this guy out so i can throw to him like he's my top route i can throw to him number one um, and I can trust that he's going to catch it. But in games where you have all of this information and you need to be communicating on the fly constantly. And there's no live coach that, that, that can help you, right? The coaches right. are backstage and cut right. off from work. That's, that's why communication is so important, but it can be coached. And that, that's the thing that people aren't taking the extra step towards because people want instant success, right? A, a lot of the mm -hmm. league scene um, with the investors that they've brought on want to see success this year, not a roadmap for having a consistently world's winning team. They mm -hmm. want to see, oh, I won worlds this year. And if you didn't win worlds this year, you failed. Um, so if we can get past and a more elongated um, timeline, mm -hmm for league since it seems to be a long-standing esport uh, the biggest thing that people have to get over is 
the amount of time it takes to develop a team that way. Mm-hmm. And also um, incorporating more star power into the league. Um, and what yeah. I mean by that is getting more advertisement. Like right now, I think Doublelift and Bjergsen are probably the two biggest names in the LCS. Sneaky was up there, um, but he's also now been benched. So you need someone to replace those people, right? And we're not seeing people that step up as replacements. I think that the closest one was in LCK, like Faker's their god, right? The closest one that came up was like Chovy. And now Knight, Knight's also um, getting up there in terms of star power right. and like becoming fans of them. You need more fans of individual players in order for the game to persist beyond once Faker retires. And I think this is a conversation that got sparked with uh, Uzi's retirement. Uzi, yeah. um, so I, I think those are the two biggest things is once we have a longer timeline and you can actually be rewarded for developing players and creating a world-class team, um, that's going to be good for the game, as well as once Riot starts sponsoring individual players to create star power, to encourage more viewership and get mm-hmm. more people engaged, um, that's also going to be good for the game. So I think those are two very actionable steps that can be started to uh, underway right now. Um, right. Actually. But, and to, and yeah. Sorry, to, to provide an alternate point, and I know this one is not, does not sound as good long-term goal-wise, mm-hmm. um, but in a game where you have five five players on the rift, um, you can kind of compare that to the NBA, where you yeah. have five players on the court. And I know there's some subs in the NBA, but it's mostly, you know, just just mostly the starters for a lot of the time and a couple other guys. You can cater to superstars. Um, yeah. And I think that's another thing that's that's missed out. Um, because you see it in players like Doublelift, right? Doublelift obviously has issues with some people. And I think it's probably not to the degree that players like Magic Felix have, but right. Team Liquid set up a team, you know, where they put players like Poe Belter and Impact and just said, you know what? You guys aren't as good as Doublelift. You guys are just going to enable Doublelift and Doublelift is going to carry the game. Yep. Uh, and I think, especially in leagues like the LCS, I mean, it might not work as well in the LPL where, where there's a lot of high talents, but in like LCS and especially over some of the EU teams, you can get away with that, and 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 you might not be the absolute best in the league, but you're going to get wins, right? For teams like you know Golden Guardians, a hundred thieves, right? These teams that are at the bottom and don't really have anything, you're going to be better, right? Yeah. Telling you know, like for example, if you had, if you took Dignitas and you just put Magic Felix on Dignitas and you put him mid and you told everybody on Dignitas, hey, I know he's not great at working with other people. You're going to do what he wants, when he wants. You're going to enable him, and you're going to try to let him win the game. And if you don't, we're getting rid of you. I, I know that's not necessarily the most positive way to go about it. And long term, you're not going to have as good of a team as people who can incorporate superstars with other great people and let carry from any position. Mm-hmm. You're going to win more games than Dignitas is winning right now. And you certainly, I think, be at least in the soup in NA. Um, and I think uh, that's something people don't think about sometimes they always just want people to change themselves to fit the team and i think sometimes you can build a team around a player and i think in traditional sports you see this happen a lot right for example with the new england patriots and i want to say you know i hate the patriots but what they did is they liked tom brady tom brady was their guy they had tom brady got injured and this guy jimmy garoppolo played a couple games and played well you know this backup quarterback and tom brady straight up just said get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. You don't need him. You have me. And I think 
you know, you could say, well, best for the team would be to convince Tom Brady that, you know, oh, well, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is good for the team. He should stay. But their owner, Robert Kraft, said, you know what? Tom Brady is our guy, right? We can cater to him. And they got rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. And then they won a Super Bowl after that. And I think, you know, and, and that's in a team with 22 players that, that play on yeah. the field, right? Let alone a East, you know, League of Legends where it's five, right? right? I think people don't realize sometimes, and I think this is what Cloud9 does really well when they have, they don't do it with players with bad personalities. They do it with players that are new to the team or new to the league. They yeah. cater to people and their play style, and they change the team around whatever player they need to enable at the time to get wins. And I think that's something that not a lot of teams do. Right. I think they come in with a play style they want to play and they try to shape the players to that. But I think, you know, especially with with five people and you see this in the NBA, it should be a star driven league. And you see that with players like Faker and Uzi, these teams that learn how to play around them. You know, you saw it with Doublelift NA teams. You see it with Caps Perks teams. Right. Yankos is a great player, but he just enables Caps and Perks a lot. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. And I think. You know, I think this is what a lot of teams are missing vision-wise. You know, sometimes you just need to cater to your stars. It it can be a star-driven league, and you know what? That might not be the perfect scenario, but that'll win you. That'll win you games. That'll win you playoff uh, games. That'll win you championships, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Plenty of teams have like double lift has won when they're just they're literally their play style is through double lift, and they have won. They they won four times in a row doing that. Uh, So. I think that's something that that needs to be kept in mind. It might not be as ideal in the long term, uh, you know, if you're creating the most perfect team, but you're not going to create the most perfect team. You're going to create a team that that, that gets some wins, you know? And I I think that's something that people miss out on. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, And I think that if you are focusing a little bit more short term, like that's definitely the right thing to do is just cater to a star player. Like some teams just aren't doing that. And I think that you bring up a good point with like G2, like how it's like caps perks. Like, I think that that's what TSM's kind of trying to do with Bjergsen and mm-hmm. Doublelift. Um, they just haven't really had Bjergsen on carries that much. We saw him on carries this week and he looked great. Like, all right, he backdoored Nexus and he was 7 2 and 10 in the long game. And he absolutely just dominated uh, Jizuke, who was looking like one of the most aggressive mids um, on LeBlanc. So, like, I, I think that that's what we're trying to see out of TSM, and that's why it's so frustrating to, like, not see them just dumpster people because mm-hmm. they're, they're basically trying to build G2 and NA. Like, that's the way that I saw it when the roster came out. Um, but they're just not quite there yet, synergistically. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that if this was the roster they had in spring, we'd be seeing a totally different TSM now in summer. Like, right. significantly better. Um, so now it's all about the ramp up and if they can keep this team for next year too, I think that they actually have a really, really good shot at, uh, worlds. Yeah. And, and just to, you know, cap off that point, I think in my opinion, and and I'm sure some people would disagree and that's why a lot of teams aren't doing it. I think league needs to be a a player driven sport, kind of like the NBA is instead Mm -hmm. of trying to mimic, um, more of an NFL where it's a, you know, scheme driven sort of thing. Yeah, uh, and I think a lot of that stems from only having five players on the rift at a time, and you know just how individual players can change the entire way a game is played. And I yeah. think you know some great examples of that are like Steph Curry, for example. You know he totally changed how so many teams in the NBA played because he came in and he just hit a shot from anywhere. And instead of saying 
hey, don't take these crazy, stupid three-pointers. You know, we have to play the way that we want our scheme to play. The Golden State Warriors just said, you know what? Everyone gets Steph Curry the ball, and if he's feeling himself, he can take this random three that probably doesn't make sense statistically. But, you know, he's he changed the game, right? He started yeah. making those, right? By, by enabling him, they enabled a player and created a, a dynasty that everyone wanted to be a part of. And I think you see that in G2, right? Um, they're like enable, just enabling perks, and then they convinced Caps to come over, and now they have this sort of EU dynasty. Uh, and I think uh, a, a lot of teams could, could benefit from doing that rather than running uh, just team-based play. Uh, yeah. And I think that's something to think about, and, and we can talk about that more as the year goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want to spend too much time on that, so we can move on to something else. Uh, uh, I'll just touch quickly on this. Something that I wanted to uh, talk about was Academy and how Academy is being used in NA. Mm-hmm. I think a big issue that I see in esports right now, uh, this is another kind of big picture thing, is the desire to win right away. Um, I think when you look at other like traditional sports, like the NBA and the NFL, for example, I think quarterbacks in the NFL are, are a great example of this. You draft a quarterback, you get a quarterback that you feel is going to be your future. And, you know, for example, like the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. or, you know, t- different different players, they might not be great right away. For example, Peyton Manning, you know, I, this is a long time ago, but Peyton Manning threw more interceptions, like the most interceptions ever by a rookie, I think, in his first season in the NFL. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I think that's right. It, it's crazy when you look at these, right, the NFL, some of these quarterbacks are so bad or just look medium or mediocre in their first year. And that's because it's a whole nother level of play. And it's the same for league, right? When you come into the LCS, it's another step up. And whether it's the, it's different for different people. Sometimes it's the pressure. Uh, sometimes it's the spotlight. Sometimes it's, you know, just being comfortable and confident. Um, it, it can be a lot of different things and even play, right? Sometimes you can be bad and just learn. Um, in more traditional sports, right? you think about rebuilding a team that only happens every so often and the teams that are constantly rebuilding are considered bad teams and i think you know even if a player doesn't look good they will stick with them to try to develop them into something they want to see instead of pulling them out right away to get one win now they'll sacrifice some wins now to develop a player that's going to win you championships later and i think we miss that in the lcs a lot i think a lot of these academy players get subbed in and put in these situations where you're on a terrible team, you know, and then they're like, oh, well, we'll see if he's a superstar. And then their next year, they're like, well, he did get better and he could potentially be good, but let's just sign a whole new team. Let's just scrap this roster and start over. Mm-hmm. And they do that a year after year, split after split, sometimes in between splits, they'll completely scrap our roster and restart. And I think, you know, you, you, you have to give time for players to develop. It's really hard. And it becomes worse for them developing if they know if they don't perform right away, they're going to get sacked. And I think, um, you know, like kicked off the team. And I think um, that's something that, that that needs to be addressed. I think, right, not every team is going to win or make playoffs every split. You know, especially like you look at North America, right, six teams out of ten are going to make playoffs. Yeah. If you're Dignitas right now and Immortals and maybe even 100 Thieves, you know, eight teams are going to make playoffs now, but you're not really going to have a chance to go far. And I think what teams like that need to do is identify, hey, 
next year we will probably have to change some of our roster in order to be better. Let's let players that are young or that we believe have talent play and develop. And not just do that now, but stick with them next year when they add new players, right? Don't just go, oh, well, we can get a middle-of-the-pack EU guy and replace, you know, or we, we just saw a new guy come out of scouting grounds. Let's immediately replace this player we've been developing and scrap mm-hmm. all that development. Um, and I don't want to get too deep into this because we weren't really deep into the, the Magic Felix thing. But I think that's something that needs to be think, thought about, right? Uh, developing players long-term and giving them chances for more than just a split or even just a year. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that Academy has been something that's largely talked about about the LCS over the, over the past year, like even extending beyond that. I think over the past two years, Academy's been talked about since the last time we've had a good world's performance was Cloud9 uh, in 2018. And before that, it was basically only TSM. Um, in the early years of Worlds. So we haven't been as competitive, the LCS, and we've seen the LEC get more competitive. And mainly the difference that people are pointing to is the academy system that LCS has versus other regions. Um, LPL and LEC do a fantastic job at developing talent and scouting talent. And LCK does a great job at scouting talent, not necessarily the development side. Um, but they have a very competitive challenger ladder. Um, mm-hmm. So instead of having an academy, what they have is, hey, I hit challenger, give me a spot on one of your academy teams, basically. And they try them out, and if they actually do have talent, then they stay on, otherwise they're cut. And LCK is really cutthroat like that. So even that system is working better than the LCS right now. Um, and... Because of that, there definitely needs to be innovations in the way that we look at Academy and in the development of the LCS as a brand um, and as players. Um, I think that some teams have uh, three teams. So like I think C9, TSM, 100 Thieves, and one other team actually have three layers of players. Um, but the third layer doesn't play that often right because other Mm -hmm. teams don't have three players or three uh three teams so because of that like some teams are trying to push the needle and i think that's good and healthy um but if other teams aren't meeting them halfway uh it's just gonna fizzle out right Mm -hmm. some of these like third teams just aren't even practicing or playing um and because of that it's not doing that much for you except for hurting your wallet um yeah. so you definitely want to see academy expand and i think that the lcs is looking into that a little bit more so yeah good point i definitely agree and i liked the analogy with second year quarterback um i think that's definitely right and a good way of thinking about it um, yeah thank you and I, I just wanted to bring up uh like a, just to cap it off a little bit i think yeah you know part of it needs to be on the fans i think you know in mm-hmm. esports fans are Fins in every sport are demanding. Um, but I think um, I'll give an example because I'm a Miami Dolphins fan um, in the NFL. And if you watch any NFL, you'll know that they're not very good. Um, <laughs> but, for example, esports fan, when their team is bad, they demand that everybody's out. Um, reset, trash everybody, you know, maybe keep one person. And they pressure these teams to, the fans do, to completely reset and just go for 
star-studded talent that they can throw money at um, from from other leagues, from the same league, right? Whatever. To just mm-hmm. find something new. But for example, being a Miami Dolphins fan, right? We were really bad last season. We were preseason ranked to be the worst team. Uh, we ended up getting like the fifth worst, and but we got a coach that we believed in, um, and we we just drafted a quarterback with a fifth overall pick, uh, Tua Tungavailoa. If you watch the NFL um, and follow the draft, and mm-hmm. even though this team will probably not be great this year, the fans are happy um, because they see the upward trending. There's a lot of pieces from last year, um, a lot of players that w- were pieces that that on a bad team that were bright spots and that the, the fans could rally around and support. Um, mm-hmm. And that even though the positive, you know, the dolphins probably aren't competing for a Super Bowl this year, the fan base is happy and excited and supportive, which allows the team to continue this up build rather than needing to restart because the fans are hating it and not supporting the team. And right. I, I think, you know, fans need to realize that, you know, you do have a lot of pressure because it, it is an entertainment industry, right? It's you don't, you know, you get money for winning, but you also get a lot of money through through fan bases and, and stuff like that. So, I think realizing that it's it's an entertainment industry and uh, catering to the fan base is like very important. Um, mm-hmm. And as a fan, you need to be supportive when your team is bad, as long as you feel that they're taking the right steps, rather than. You know, anytime your team takes a loss, demanding that they scrap everything and start over, because then you're never going to get it right. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think that's a just keeping in mind the fans, per, what the fans' job is in this whole thing, um, because that's who we're talking to, and that's what this podcast is for. Yep, I agree. And I think that's a good note um, to close off the LCS talk. Um, I just wanted to do games of the week, um, just some ones that I'm looking at right now. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the Friday game, if you're going to look into a long game, um, we got 100 Thieves and Golden Guardians. Um, they both have the longest average game times in the LCS. So we'll see if that game is short or not. But uh, mm-hmm. like we were saying, even though some people get mad at these games, they are entertaining if you're just looking for the entertainment value. I think that's also going to be a close game. Um, Should be. So look yeah. out for that one. Um, EG versus FlyQuest on Saturday. Um, I think both FlyQuest games this week are going to be interesting because they're against EG and then TL on Sunday. Um, so this one kind of gives us a better understanding of what the top teams kind of look like. Um, and with FlyQuest playing both of their games, if they go 2-0, that means they kind of cement their, themselves as the second best team right now. Um, and if they go 0-2, that almost cements them uh, even fourth or lower. Um, so a lot rides on uh, this week in terms of where teams end up in the standings. And then last but not least, uh, TSM versus CLG is always a staple game. Um, I don't know how close it's going to be, um, but it could be based off the fact they're both tied in the standings. And CLG sometimes has TSM's number. So I want to see a good game mm-hmm. out of that one. Um, but I, I, I hope TSM pulls through. Yeah, the good news about having this soup of four and two teams means that there's a lot of four and two teams playing four and two teams, you know? Yep. So I think that's something that everybody should watch out for and watch those games. You know, even if you think people are playing bad, there's some exciting games this weekend. Um, yep. So that'll be interesting. And that transitions me. I'm going to really quickly, since we're a third of the way through summer split, I wanted to give a brief overview of the LEC, LCK, and LPL, mm-hmm. um, their standings, and then some interesting statistics that I've been looking at. Um, so. 
one thing to point out immediately is that the LEC, LCK, and LPL all average um, a 31 and a half minute game time, as opposed to the LCS, which is closer to 33 minutes. And the only reason I want to bring this up is that minute and a half actually means a lot in terms of tempo. And I want to be tracking game time as we get closer to Worlds, because that minute and a half is about the length that you have Elder Dragon buff or Baron buff. And it can also be the difference of, oh, they're doing Baron here or they're not doing Baron here. Um, and keeping track of average game time is actually a really good indicator of how good teams are doing. Right now, actually, the two fastest game times in the LCS are EG and um, C9, and both of them are in the 28 minutes, which is absurd. Like, no other teams have that average game time right now. Um, G2 has 29 and a half, and that's the next closest. Um, so, actually, we're seeing some pretty good stuff out of some early games from LCS teams, which is pretty interesting to look into. Um, LEC right now is also very interesting because Rogue is in second and Mad Lions are in first, which I don't think anyone was expecting <laughs> at this point in the season. Um, I'm really happy for Mad Lions. I think they're doing a great job. And talking about like rallying around one or two players, like Humanoid and Karzi are absolutely insane. Um, and they're playing out of their minds right now. I think that if they can continue this momentum and this isn't their peak, that they could actually have a really good Worlds performance if they make it. Um, mm -hmm. Rogue also had a really good week. They beat Fnatic. And I think that Fnatic is actually on a little bit of a downward spiral. We both had them as losers this week, even though I just had them as a winner last week. Mm -hmm. um, I think that they can definitely pick it up and turn it around. They're the type of team that can do that. Um, but they're in a little bit of a slump right now after going 0-2 uh, the past two weeks. So looking forward to see something out of them. Um, LCK is actually shaking up exactly how it's expected to. Um, right now, at the top of the ladder is, I believe, damn one. Hold on. Let me check really quick. One sec. Oh, no, it's Dragon X. Sorry. Dragon X is 4 0 in terms of its actual head to head matchups, but damn one has the most wins versus losses. Um, they're 7 and 2. Um, so the top of the ladder right now is Dragon X, Gen G, Damwon, T1, and then Team Dynamics. Um, all pretty much expected. Um, Team Dynamics is the only outlier there. But the only thing that I would bring up is Damwon Gaming's absurd 26 and a half minute uh, average game time. No one else in the uh, LCK is even close to that. Um, most teams are sitting around 32 to 33 minutes, which is actually pretty close to the LCS, and that's normal from what we see for the LCK. Uh, they normally like slow and methodical games that are, we're going to out-macro you, and we're going to farm an insane amount. Like Most of these players average somewhere between 12 and 11 average CS per minute, and like that's like the top of the ladder for LCS and LEC teams. Um, and these players just average that much. So it's pretty absurd. Um, and they're playing to how they normally have their win conditions. I think that, of course, Dragon X, Damwon, and T1, and Gen.G are the best teams right now. Um, but definitely be on the lookout for Damwon as kind of the resident sleeper. I know that they're kind of at the top of the ladder, but they're winning in an absurdly fast fashion. And I think that they're playing the closest to an LPL team right now which right. is why I have them as like the dark horse. Um, and then last but not least, we've got the LPL, which is the reigning world champions two years running. Um, they're also shaking out 
pretty much as expected. We've got top esports topping it off um, with an average game time of 32 minutes. Their gold up is pretty absurd as well um, at about 250 on average with having played 14 games is pretty insane. Um, and that's gold per minute up. Um, so you're at four minutes expected to be a thousand gold down, which is kind of insane. Mm-hmm. Um, they have an almost 90% win rate and they're looking like one of the best teams in the LPL right now going into worlds. I expect them to be great. We've got fun plus Phoenix and Invictus gaming also at 60% win rates, um, pretty much third place, um, behind victory five, which is this team that I have not heard that much about but are actually doing really well. Um, They're in sole possession of second place, and I think they're an interesting team to look at. I don't know any of the players on their team, um, but they actually have some of the shortest games um, and quickest victories that we've been seeing in the LPL this split. So they're definitely someone to check out, potentially world's contenders, but um, I am still more strung on Top Esports, Fun Plus, and Invictus, and even JD. JDG is also looking pretty strong too. Um, it's something I wanted to bring up while we're on LPL real quick. Yeah. Is we're actually going to get four LPL representatives at Worlds this year. And I think what's exciting to see from them right now is of the four teams that went to the midseason cup against Korea, right? Mm-hmm. You have Top is now at one. Um, Fun Plus is at fifth. Invictus is a sixth. And JD is ninth. Um, yeah. So it's exciting to see that there's plenty of other teams contesting and trying to move up the standings. So we may see a completely different set of teams uh, come Worlds uh, from LPL. So there's a lot of teams that are up in the mix there that are all probably insanely strong teams. So I think that's, that's kind of exciting. Yeah, that was the one uh, critique that a lot of people had about um, LPL sending four teams is that the fourth team might not be that impactful. But since it's looking like right now, Fun Plus is that fourth team, pretty much. If uh, LGD falls down, Victory 5 stays up, and uh, WE and uh, RNG sort of duke it out, we'd we'd have top esports, Invictus Gaming, Victory 5, WE, or RNG, and then Fun Plus. And Fun Plus, we know as the previous world champions, um, they're not a team to just be messed around with. Um, so that would yeah. actually be a really strong fourth place team as a right. contender. It's um, a little bit early to look at that, but just you yeah. know, looking at what the picture is now, because that's how far we are, it, these are going to be strong top four teams. So I think you know the fact that it's so competitive in LPL um, and those teams that we know, right? We know top esports, we know Fun Plus Phoenix, we. We know JD Gaming. We saw those teams destroy Korea. Um, Invictus was the team that looked really bad from the LPL as their fourth, but there's plenty of other teams above them in LPL standings, so I think it just shows that um, that they really do have the ability to bring four strong Worlds contenders. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a little bit worried that it might be all, by semifinals, it might be all LPL. (laughs) (laughs) It could be. It could very well be. The way they're playing. Um, I think the best contenders right now, based off of my quick analysis um, that I did of the teams um, in the major regions, Cloud9 seems to be a really good contender. Actually, based off of how EG has been winning their games, EG actually looks like a really solid team going into Worlds because of how quickly they win and how dominant they are. Um, G2, 
even though they're uh, four and three right now, they actually look like one of the strongest teams in the LEC along with the Mad Lions. Um, and out of LCK right now, Damwon is looking the best in terms of mm-hmm. stats. Um, but Dragon X are obviously 4-0, so you can't count them out. So it, actually, Worlds this year looks like we have about 10 teams that are all pretty competitive if all 10 of those teams are still this strong about uh, four or five months, or three or four months from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that probably caps it off for, yeah. for league stuff. Um, we talked about a lot. This is a long episode in terms of league. There was a really great... Um, week of games and a lot going on and hopefully next week there'll be just as much uh to really talk about and bring up so let's let's move into valorant now there was i believe it was called the t1 nerd and nerd street gamer showdown yep Um, it's part of the ignition series and i'll just read you know top four teams uh first place in the tournament was uh, achieved by tsm uh, T1 mm. got second, Immortals got third, and Face Clan got fourth. Um, just to read some of the other teams that were in the tournaments that you may may know, there was a Hundred Thieves team. Uh, there was Gen G was in the tournament. Mm-hmm. There was Cloud Nine, Code Seven, um, and even Ninja, um, famous Fortnite streamer, just put a team together to compete in this tournament. Um, something you know, I'm gonna say my standout for this tournament. Obviously, TSM looks insanely fantastic and we'll talk yeah. about that i just wanted to bring up phase clan with a fourth place finish um in group play they won their group um a group with cloud nine um who didn't even get out of that group actually yeah phase uh, clan went on to beat 100 thieves two to one and then phase clan went on uh to lose to tsm two zero but then beat the sentinels um who won their group with gen g in it and um, put, uh, ended up losing to Immortals. Uh, this is the reason I'm bringing them up versus other teams that did better than them. Is this is Phase Clan's first Valorant tournament? So it's the first time we've seen this team, and they come out with a strong fourth place finish, beating mm-hmm. out a lot of teams that have been playing already and looking good, like Genji, um, Sentinels. You know the, the other team, Cloud Nine. You know teams that ha- have kind of been there already. And so I'm excited coming up for future tournaments, you know, as they get more playtime together and get more comfortable with each other to see if they can kind of break into that top tier where TSM and T1 seem to be. Yeah, I 100% agree. This is also monumental because this is TSM's fifth first place in a uh, Valorant tournament since Valorant patch 1.0 came out. So this team is looking on fire. Um, This is T1's second second place finish. um, And they're... They've gotten second in both tournaments they've played. Um, so that only being second to TSM. So what I can at least very quickly analyze from that is that T1 is basically pretty much the second best team right now behind TSM, um, just because they consistently perform that way. Um, and they have the strong enough players to at least cement that. Um, the next mm-hmm. closest team was Gen G, but just looking at this showdown, which had 16 really, really strong teams, um, Genji didn't actually end up performing that great. They got eliminated, pretty much one of the first teams eliminated after getting out of uh, the group stages. Um, they lost against T1 in a 2-0 fashion, and then they lost to the Sentinels. Um, Who won that group? Who won that group? Um, 
they got second place in Group D, which had Echo 8 and Mixup, and Echo 8 has not been performing that great. They've played in a lot of tournaments, though, um, so they're getting a lot of experience, which is good. And then they played another team called Mixup, which actually ended up doing all right. They were actually pretty close to beating out Gen G for that spot. Um, but Gen G and Sentinels were just uh, a little bit above them. Um, Sentinels actually being super dominant in the group stages. Um, but that was arguably the easiest group. Um, maybe something could be said for like T1's group. Uh, I guess T1 and 100 Thieves were obviously going to be Code 7 and Ninja. Um, but beyond that, like all the other groups were pretty close. Um, FaZe Clan. You could make an argument about FaZe Clan's group. Yeah. Um, they had a, a kind of like a prospects team that was called Together We Are Terrific, also Kiddo, um, mm-hmm. who had to play TSM. They did actually win a map against TSM. Yeah. So maybe maybe you can't argue that, but then they instantly got eliminated by a hundred thieves. Yeah. Terrific's playstyle was really interesting to watch. Um they took one game off TSM in the TSM's very first uh map. Best of three. And then yeah, the yeah, f- first best of three. And then uh TSM went on to only lose one more map the entire uh the entire tournament, and that was to T one, not even in the finals. Mm-hmm. Um so I mean, TSM obviously dominant, but terrific. If they're able to take a map off of them, they're obviously a decent team. Um, so maybe we have another prospect team that could uh, get in the mix up here. Um, but yeah, biggest things that I want to talk about besides top four um, were 100 Thieves, Cloud9, and the Sentinels. Um, all of these teams are actually really good. I think Cloud9 just barely didn't make it out behind terrific. Um, and 100T actually performed really, really well in their group. Um, the way that uh, these things go is you win a map um, against another team, but um, when you look at the stats, you see like a plus or a minus next to each team, um, which kind of determines like how far, how many rounds ahead um, the teams were. And T1 was plus 44. In their group, but 100 Thieves was also plus 16, um, which means that they just absolutely dominated their group. Like 100T basically won against everyone except T1. Mm-hmm. And in the T1 match, like while it was a 2 0, they were both close. Um, in the TSM group, just to like show dominant teams, TSM was plus 35 and Sentinels were plus 33 in their group, which is just absurd numbers. That's like, since it takes 13 rounds to win, um, you can kind of think of TSM's plus 35 as almost just straight up 13 to zeroing three times. Um, Cause all that is, is 39 wins or T1 with 44. That is 13 and owing three teams. Like that's mm-hmm. absurd performance. Um, yeah. And the Sentinels were the other ones who were also standout. They were plus 33. Um, and they ended up losing to FaZe Clan in the lower bracket after uh, they went 2-1 to one against Immortals early on, uh, but then beat Gen G in uh, the lower bracket round one. So I think that Sentinels, 100 Thieves, and Cloud9 definitely aren't people to be um, messed with. I think they're all very good teams. They just, uh, I think, need a little bit more stage practice. Sentinels are... Um, 
have three really good players in Shazam, Sick, and Sinatra, who are all ex-CSGO players who are very, very good. Um, I actually watched Sinatra stream uh, a decent amount. Um, mm. And he's he's a very, very good player. Um, so I think that while we were talking about star power earlier with uh, League of Legends teams, like CSGO and Valorant, these are teams where you can definitely lean on star power. Um, and right now we definitely see that with TSM and uh, Wardell and especially like some of the other players on their team that are absolutely nuts, like Drone. Um, right. So I think that's just what makes these top teams so good. I think TSM and T1 are definitely deserving first and second. Um, I think IMT and FaZe put out a really, really great showing in uh, this tournament. And I'm excited. And so did Immortals. Bigger ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm super excited for bigger, bigger tournaments that'll involve more teams, um, just to see how much further, um, teams like hundred T Sentinels and cloud nine can go. Mm-hmm. And something I just wanted to call out real quick is if you look at like kills per map in terms of this tournament, mm-hmm. there was only one player that averaged over 20 kills per map. So it's basically kills divided by the amount of games you played. And that was 10 Z who plays for Cloud9, mm-hmm. he didn't even make it out of groups, so he only played seven maps. Um, but he had 23.4 kills per map. Yeah. Uh, the second place person, um, a proto, was at 19.7. So yeah. it is a small sample size compared to like players like Wardell, who have 16 maps and still at 18.6 kills per map, which is absolutely insane. And I think Wardell yeah. is probably the best player in the game right now. Um, but like players like Tenzi, right? I think what you need to watch is it's very early on, so I don't know what contracts or agreements look like. But if Cloud9 can move in some better player pieces around Tenzi, or have Tenzi, you know, move to one of these upper echelon teams uh, and join up there, he's an insanely talented individual player uh, that just. I think the the team is not there yet. So I think, you know, you need to watch out for Cloud9 and Tenzi. Mm-hmm. Um, because if whether he moves or more people move into Cloud9, if there's some change there, or they just start figuring it out more together and getting better, um, you know, a top fragger like that can win you maps, uh, kind of yeah. like in a solo carry way. For sure. And a lot of the people who are top fragging right now are playing duelists, which, I mean, that's not surprising. Um, but mm-hmm. the only standout person... Um, in terms of like total kills, is Crashies, who plays on T1. He's their lurker. And he sets up in like the most interesting positions that nobody checks and gets multi kills consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely a player to watch out for. I think that's what solidifies T1 in the top two of teams, in my opinion, is the fact that their floor is still really high. Um, even when they're not playing great, they can pull out wins against even good teams. Um, so I think the TSM is far above them just because TSM's potential is higher with players like Wardell and Drone, um, and Color. Like, it's just a lot of really, really solid talent. Um, and Hazed, even, who's a really good Sage player. Um, uh, I honestly am like so surprised that TSM has such a good team so quickly because normally they take a long time to ramp up for games. But uh, I guess for Valorant, they already have a really, really solid team. And they might, 
at least some players are saying, uh, have the best team in the world. The only person who's in competition with Wardell right now as one of the best players is Mixwell, who's also an opper um, out of Europe. Mm-hmm. So definitely keep some uh, keep your eyes on TSM and keep your eye on the Valorant scene. Uh, it's definitely starting to heat up. Yeah, I'm excited to see the first like few, you know, when we can get to a place where it can happen. Um, uh, you know, like to see maybe like a Valorant Worlds um, where yeah. multiple regions are represented. Um, I think right now, you know, I am an NA fanboy, so I don't want to be too much of a homer. But I think TSM is just, I would say, probably the best team in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely, you could we, we would see some competition, but I think it's exciting to see. I think some teams are coming out with a very defined, this is what a good Valorant team looks like. And I think there are a lot of teams improving and trying to get there, actually. Uh, if you if you look at the, the statistics and the type of players, I think, you know, right now I would say that T1 and TSM are league-worthy. Like, they, they could join a legitimate Valorant league and mm. be strong teams um, that I think even, you know, a year from now plus, um, this team would still be effective and good there. Whereas I think... You know, a year from now, there'll be plenty of teams like um, some of the smaller teams, I would say like Cloud9 right now, that that wouldn't really be relevant um, mm-hmm. as the scene develops more, uh, unless they get new players. But I think teams like TSM and Team 1 have really solidified, like, this is what, this is the standard, um, at least for NA teams, you know. This is the yeah. standard for, to get a very developed league. This is what we need teams to be up and like. And I think... Teams like Immortals and FaZe are very close to, you know, that kind of legitimate status. Mm-hmm. I agree. And um, the only other significance of um, this tournament and also TSM's win is that this was an A-tier event. So um, if you want to read a little bit more about how um, Valorant competitive is working, um, Valorant released a forum post on their website about it. Basically, um, it works a lot like CSGO, where there's like majors and minors and um, different tiers of tournaments. Um, And if you win higher tier tournaments, you accumulate more points. So if there is a world's quote unquote, um, only the best teams who have won at these higher end tournaments are going to be able to go. Um, And those are probably going to be S tier events. So those are basically your majors. this A tier event that happened, the T1 showdown, uh, the T1 X Nerd Street Gamers showdown, was an A tier event, and it was the first A tier event for Valorant, and that would basically be considered like a minor, and then everything else is kind of like just a tournament. So like mm-hmm. B tier and C tier are more like tournaments. So this was like a minor tournament for Valorant, and it was the very first one. And with TSM winning that, it already like shoves their momentum in a great direction. Um, so I'm excited to see where the rest of the competitive uh, field goes. Yeah, and I really liked the format of this tournament, where you had group play. Um, I think they did a really good job of just turning uh, the lower bracket into a one-map sort of thing, so as to not to drag out the tournament for weeks, right? This was completed pretty quickly. Um, and I, So I think for minors, this I like this format. I think it's really good. And... I think it's good to reward, you know, instead of having a continuation, right? Like T1 has to be TSM twice um, mm-hmm. to, to win the final. I like that TSM is just given a map advantage. Um, 
and then they played out. So uh, I really liked the format of this. I think it was really good, and, and it makes me really excited to see, you know, what happens in the next the next few. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to the majors of uh, Valorant. Those are going to be super sick. We also have to look forward is um, we actually played a lot of ranked Valorant this past week. Uh, oh, yes, so we did. We, we're, just, we're just starting the climb, you know, but um, there's that, right? We, we have a long way up to go. Yeah, for sure. Um, I used to be a, like, gold Nova player in CSGO, so I'm trying to get back, trying to dust off the rust from not playing FPSs for, like, seven years. Um, and... I think you and I are ending up around. Actually, I'm. I actually started off higher than I expected, um, but I'm. I'm fully expecting the climb to come through. Um, so I started off in silver. Um, I'm silver one right now, and highest I've gotten so far is silver two. And I think where you started at bronze one. Right? Yeah, I started at bronze one. We played one game, and I instantly got put to bronze three. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I think. You know, I think we've played like two games since then, or, or maybe mm-hmm. three. Um, I think I'm probably like a win away from uh, moving into silver. Yeah, I think yeah. For me, for me, it's a lot of like learning new things because I've played FPSs before. I used to play like on console, but I've never played an FPS on the computer, and I've never played a tactical shooter. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, it's still learning. I, I still have that Call of Duty instinct, whereas which is just as soon as you see someone start shooting and then adjust your aim from there, um, you know, just put your spray on target and hit body and then move to head. Um, whereas in these tactical shooters, right, the, this, the best strategy is to go for the head tap first. And then if that doesn't work, drag your spray or maybe don't even, you know, full spray if they're at a distance, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of tap, tap the shots. Um, so I still have that, those bad instincts. And a lot of the times for me, um, you know, I get, I get the most kills when I'm like doing 230 damage to each person. And I always get like two body shots and then a headshot or one body shot and then a headshot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think that's the biggest thing for me is kind of like retraining myself in, in a way. Um, because in, in call of duty, the, the better strategy, um, if you're just casually playing call of duty is to just start your spray and then readjust. Cause it's really easy to adjust that aim. Um, yeah. Very different in tactical shooters. I'm still learning, but I'm having a really good time with it. Um, and, and it makes me feel really good when I have my pop-off moments because I am very um, up and down. Uh, I'm usually not mid-fragging on the team. I'm usually, you know, bottom or or, or top, you know? Yeah. So. For sure. Um, I think that's all we have to say about Valorant. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last piece to talk about is really quick. We're going to go over Legends of Runeterra since um, the new patch has been out for a little while now. And it's time to take a really quick look at how the meta is shaping out. Um, I just watched Swim's Meta Monday too, so I feel pretty well versed in this. Basically, mm-hmm. um, this is the fastest Legends of Runeterra meta that there's ever been. Um, if you're looking into getting into the game right now, it's easier, but it's also fast. Um, so if you've played card games before these, basically the way this one works is try to rush down the enemy's nexus as quickly as possible, um, and get their health down to zero. Uh, I think that right now the best decks that are performing are aggro or burn. Um, and burn is somewhere between 
aggro and combo in terms of deck types. Um, because of that, um, we're seeing some decks come up that are new control decks, which are really good against aggro and pretty good against burn, um, that are starting to come into the meta. There's some pretty good mid-range ones that are coming out too. Um, Heimer Vi has been good for the past three patches, so um, mm -hmm. that's still good, and it's probably the best mid-range deck you can do because you can actually kind of control um, these aggro decks pretty well. But it's not doing too great against these more combo burn decks, um, where that are becoming more uh, meta, as well as elusives, which are becoming more meta as well. Um, so like Kinku elusives is probably the best deck right now. It has almost a sixty percent win rate. Um, it's pretty insane. And the new control deck of Brahma Nivia, where you're just trying to get as many Anivias on the board as possible, and then you basically just one-shot the Nexus without them having any counterplay, um, is probably the next most uh, popular. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, it's all these different rush, like burn aggro, straight-up aggro, or straight-up burn decks um, that are doing the best right now. And some people are winning by like turn five. Um, which if you're like into card games at all, that's pretty ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I've been playing that a little bit. I've been starting my climb. Um, and that's kind of the casual game I play in between Valorant or like TFT or anything like that. Um, and I don't, I'm not particularly one who likes fast metas. Um, cause I play like mid range decks. That's what I like to play. Um, so I'm going to try to build like a Heimer Vi deck next so that I can start learning it because it's really hard to play. Um, and I like difficult to play like high skill cap things that mm. take a lot of time, but that have a lot of skill expression. Um, that's why I like playing like more difficult, uh, Valorant agents or like really attaching myself to one or two champions in league. Like that's how I've always liked to play. So I'm becoming more interested in learning these more difficult mid-range decks. Um, and hopefully, if the meta keeps shifting more towards burn, um, that mid-range gets a small buff in order to compensate, because right now they're just burning through almost any other deck that's in competition with them. Um, so, yeah. I think that's all I have to say about that. That was kind of a really long-winded way to say that the meta is fast, and is that good? It depends on what kind of play style you have. Gotcha. Yeah, I have not been playing um, Legends of Runeterra. I, I've been playing a lot of Valorant, and um, mm -hmm. uh, so I've been all playing Valorant, and I've actually been trying to learn some new League champs. Uh, so I'll have to make sure I go out of my way to, to play some Legends of Runeterra so I can give some more opinions next week but um we yeah. definitely bring um giant ninja back on sometime soon and have oh, yeah. him do more in-depth legends of runeterra rundown yeah for sure all right so that's all i have uh that's all i have uh for that episode did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about uh, I didn't really have anything else to talk about, more so just to close, make sure um, that if you have any questions, you can follow us and send us them on Twitter, um, Small Talk Big Brain. And beyond that, I think next week we're going to be talking a little bit more in depth about the LCS. Um, Legends of Rune Terra Meta will be a little bit more flushed out, so maybe we'll have Giant Ninja back on around then. 
Um, and then there's actually a lot of B tier Valorant tournaments happening this weekend, as well as there should be a new TFT patch. So a lot of things to quickly go over next week, as well as some deep dives into probably the LCS, as well as TFT and LOR. So exciting stuff. Yeah, I'm very excited. I think LCS will be very flushed out next week. I think there'll be there's a lot of important games going on this weekend, and I think it'll hopefully break up that soup a little bit and give us more of an idea of who are the strong and weak teams in NA at this point in time. For sure.